So today we're continuing um, in the book of James. Um, somebody finish this for me. If you're, if you're my age, you should know this. Maybe if you're younger, a little bit younger than me, you might know this. Um, you should always wear clean underwear just in case you go to the hospital. Has it, ha, everybody heard that before? Anybody? No, who has not heard that? You've never heard that before. You should always wear clean underwear just in case you go to the hospital. I think you should wear clean underwear because it's gross if you don't. But I, I think that in today's text, I think what James is going to do is make kind of the same analogy. Uh, well, kind of. Um, because what, what I don't think, um, what I think that he's saying, well, we, we'll get into what I think that he's saying. Um, but what I don't think that he's saying is that, as we read the text in James 4, is because it, 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 it lays itself out um, in such a manner that you could take it as one thing. But what he's not saying is that wealth is evil. He's not saying that life can't be awesome. So um, if you hear those things out of what I'm saying, uh, I'm saying it wrong. So, uh, but I do think he's uh, referencing how our priorities should be with relation to those things. Um, so it's kind of like wearing clean underwear no matter what. Cause I think if you wear clean underwear just in case, cause like if a truck hits me and I have to go to the hospital, my underwear aren't going to be clean anyway. So, um, the, I'm going to relate to that in just a minute in this. So, um, you ever guys, you guys ever think about today might be the last day of my life. You ever think, you think that? Wow. I guess I, huh? You do. Okay, so, yeah. So you're faced with that every day and seeing people, whatever. But I, so like as people of God, as, as, as followers of Jesus, what is, what is the last thing we want to be doing? I mean, if, if God were to take us out in the last minute, what is it we want to be caught doing? Really? What? Drinking? <laughs> wow. I was thinking golf or, you know, drinking. Okay. My, 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 my answer would probably be holding my great-grandkids. Great-great-grandkids. That would mean I'd be up in my hundreds or so probably. Um, but I think if we looked at, uh, I think if we looked at death that way, it might change our perspective of eternity. Um, I got fascinated with martyrs um, several years ago, and I got this book called Fox's Book, book of Martyrs. Y'all have that? And so in that book, it's, it's really fascinating. In the book, you read martyr after martyr after martyr. And these are Christian martyrs. These aren't just, you know, they're, they're, they do have a cause, and it's Christianity. But, the, you know, there's these people that are, that are hung. They're, uh, they're burned at the stake. They're disemboweled, um, you know, to where you can actually see your guts. Um, and, and it goes into gory, gory detail of how these folks died. But the amazing thing on the backside of it is, is, uh, these folks never denied Christ. You know, they died for their faith in Christ, but they never denied him. You know, you got stories of, of ladies being burned at the cross who are singing hymns as their, as their, as their body fails in the fire. Um, you've got people quoting scripture as they're lined up in front of a, a firing squad about to take a bullet in the head. Um, and, you know, I think that the, 
Um, if you're like me, that the different, I, I think of the difference between myself and them. Is that, is that a place I could find myself in? Is that something that I identify with? And I don't know why I, why I chose to become so uh, taken by this book of martyrs, but um, what's the difference between our, us and them? What's the difference between ourselves and, say, Billy Graham or Mother Teresa? You know, just... These are normal folks, right? I mean, they're, they're flesh and blood. They're people. They're folks. Um, Mother Teresa was just a simple woman, a woman of immense faith and a woman with a sense of justice that chose to live her life in extreme poverty, um, but still just a woman. And you, but you realize the money that Mother Teresa could have made if she decided to go on the speaking ter- circuit. I mean, she could have made millions. If she had decided, um, I'm going to write a book, no doubt it would have been a number one bestseller, um, she would have, she would have killed it. So, but here, but here, this woman chose instead to hold the hand of the dying, to feed the poor and be with the poor, to give them dignity, um, and to just be with them. And she had a good sense of justice. So I think about that. I think about the difference between me and her, her faith and mine, her sense of justice and mine. Um, what's the difference between us and these just monsters of faith? These these folks that just live out there on the edge. What's the difference between us and Jen Hatmaker? You know? I mean, you got this, you got this woman. Um, I remember when she was just regular. I remember when she, do y'all remember when she was just Jen or Jennifer? We actually used to call her Jennifer. When she got famous, she shortened it to Jen. Um, I remember when she was Jennifer, a fourth grade teacher, and her husband was a youth pastor. Um, and they were just regular. We played spades with them every night, you know? Um, but here you've got this, this woman with this call on her life and her husband with a call on his life to live it out in such a manner that it, that it resonates throughout, uh, you know, I mean, beyond what the, the realm that this church reaches. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, <laughs> y'all ever read her? Y'all, y'all, y'all friends with her on Facebook? Y'all, no, you should be because it's hilarious. Um, so if you're friends with Jen on Facebook, um, you get the... If you like her on Facebook, you can't be friends with her. You've got to like her because she's famous. Um, but if you like her, you see all these responses in her feed that say stuff like this. And this is kind of a synopsis of all of them. Jen, love your words. You're saying what I've been feeling in my heart for years. You and I are BFFs, although you don't even know me. When you come to Tacoma, San Diego, Denver, Kalamazoo, wherever, you can stay at my house and with me and my 47 cats or whatever. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that the reach that, 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 uh, you know, that she has, um, and just somebody so regular, but, but still somebody so sold out uh, to this cause, sold out to adoption, sold out to Jesus, sold out to telling other people about them. Um, I think of Hugh Halter, my friend, uh, who wrote The Tangible Kingdom, um, and, and I saw a quote that he said this morning, and I want to I share this. Did anybody see that this morning? Anybody friends with him on Facebook? No. Uh, he's got a new book coming out February 2nd called Flesh, um, and it's, it'll be due out on, on Amazon or whatever uh, on February 2nd, and he quoted from the book, and this, this may change the way I live. I mean, I'm serious. This is a quote that I was just like, you know what? I know this. It's exactly what I've been thinking for years, but I just couldn't put words to it, so kind of like Jen Hatmaker. Anyway, this is, this is the male version of Jen Hatmaker. Um, but this is, this is something that he said out of his book this morning. Christians often make it sound like Jesus came only to die for sin 
and then make converts. Grow a religion called Christianity and make more converts. But God never wanted converts or attenders. He wanted his children back. That make sense? He wanted his children back. Sin separated us. Sin cast us out. And God just, God just sent his son because he wants his kids back. You know, he wants to adopt us back. And that was just something I, I, I didn't know where to put it in here. I was like, my sermon's already finished, but I want to I say that. And I will probably, that is, that's good stuff though. But we talk about, you know, uh, in James, we talk about having uh, a life purpose. As believers, we want to have a life purpose, that our, pur- that, our, that our lives count for something. That's why I think books like The, the Purpose Driven Life were such huge success. Probably still is, right? Is it still a bestseller? I have no idea. Such a great, you know, it was up on the bestseller list for, for years and years. Um, but I think today's passage, James, is once again speaking to the Christian church and uh, while some, some believe he was speaking to a church in particular, uh, it's widely believed by most scholars that he was just talking to the church as a whole, that this is direction for all of us. And so as we, let's read God's word together. I think we, do we have it on the screen, Byron? I think we do. Um, it's in your bulletin too, I think. So uh, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go, this, go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that... uh, it is meant for correction. It is meant to guide us. It is meant to comfort us. And so, Father, we just ask that you take the word, uh, penetrate our hearts with it this morning, and uh, allow your spirit to speak through that. Amen. Um, there's so much um, packed into, this, into the, those, for those few verses, and I think there's something probably in there for all of us. As I was reading the text, two things, I don't know if you can agree with me or not, but two things really jumped out at me uh, in, the, in that text, and somebody like Jason could probably pick 30, but I just had, I'm simple. I just got two main things. I got different points, and we'll go over those, but the two things that really struck me um, out of this was, A, life is a mist, and B, if it is the Lord's will, those two verses. Um, and let's, break, let's go ahead and break down the, the, the verses um, one, one by one, I think verse 13, the implication is that many of us say and do things. We take promotions. We go to college. We get married. Uh, we have babies. We buy and sell houses. We buy and sell stock. We put away for retirement. We, we do whatever. We do what we do. We do what we're trained to do, what we're schooled to do, and what we've learned from other folks. And it's on a rare occasion that we consult God in those things. I think that's the implication in, in verse 13. If, if James 3 was putting that in today's terms, I think that's what he's saying to us. You're doing all this stuff, but you've left God out of the equation. Um, who's like me and just does a bunch of stuff, maybe the stuff I've mentioned, and then go, God, will you please bless that? <laughs> I've, I, sorry, I got ahead of you on that. Um, I promise I'll do better next time. Uh, but yeah, that, that job I went ahead and took, will you please just bless this now and make it awesome? Um, I think verse 14 
just basically says, we, we plan for a tomorrow that may never come. Verse 14, he says, your life is just a mist. So I'm glad to see everybody here. Maybe this is why we have low attendances, because somebody didn't survive the blizzard of 2014. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty incredible. Um, but I'm glad you all did. Um, I saw some cool videos, people in the church and whatever, with their kids on inner tubes sliding down the driveways. Anybody see those? And then the aftermath of that was pretty, pretty bad. My, my daughter tried to go out on the back deck and make a snow angel, and just, but it was just ice. So, I mean, it's like you're not moving anything, so you're not making an angel. But did you guys go outside and you go, did anybody do that? Go out, and then see your, see your breath like that? When you were in junior high school, guys, did you guys pretend you were smoking and you were cool? Brenda, Brenda and the guys. Oh, the girls did that too. Is that a girl thing too? But you were pretending you were cool and you smoked and then you got to college and you did smoke. And then you can't quit now. And I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I think James is saying in verse 14 that that's my life. My life is like that puff of breath that you see. And either the, the wind changes or or the temperature warms up a little bit, or it's just a few minutes, just a few seconds, it's gone. I think that's what he's saying in this, in this verse. Life is a vapor. In verse 15, he goes on to say, if the Lord wills, I think this is one we really probably need to, to, to really dig into. If the Lord wills. Um, our plans are conditional upon a sovereign God, right? Are our plan, are, do we live that way, though? Our plans are, are conditional. I mean, we can make the best plans we want to, but ultimately, right, if we, if we believe that God's sovereign and, and has control of this whole thing that goes on, this whole thing of life, then God's sovereign. Ultimately, His plan uh, will trump our plans. Correct? Anybody with me on that? Um, this, is, this is really one of the biggies for me. I just hang on that, what it actually means for God to be sovereign. Um, I think if, if, we, if we do say God's sovereign, then we have to recognize that we are not. That any of the plans that we make are then subject to uh, his ultimate plan. Therefore, any thought of control on our part is an illusion. Is an illusion. Now, I mean, we could, go, we could get into the whole Calvin thing right now and talk about, well, then we're just puppets or whatever. But I think, I think there's something greater, greater to God than that. I think, I think within his sovereignty, he allows us to, to live and work and and, and do our thing. Uh, but ultimately, I think in God's sovereignty, um, his plan will unfold. Verse 17 talks about the sin of neglect or omission. If you, if you grew up in church like I did, um, there were things that you couldn't do, right? What were they, Brenda? Drinking. Drink, well, again, you know, <laughs> drinking, smoking. Now, who said Dancing. Is that you or your parents? Now, I was going to say, I, I was going to blame that on my parents because we actually had foot functions. Did y'all have those at Baylor? Anybody go to Baylor? Foot functions? Um, that's what my sister, my sister went through. That's what they called them instead of dances. But anyway, so there's drinking, smoking, cussing, dancing. Sex before marriage. Sex before marriage, obviously. Cards. Anybody do cards? Because you never heard of that? What's that? You couldn't play with a deck of cards. Like, you couldn't play spades or hearts because the devil's in those cards, right? 
Yeah, but also it's just a game of chance, and therefore, you know, the devil does his thing. And what anyway? There was there was a long list. If you grew up in church, like all these old people in here, not me, but um, those were the list of prohibitions that were kind of laid out before you. But what James is saying here is pretty cool. He's saying, you know what? It's not about what you don't do. It's about what you should do and don't. It's about what God's called us to do as believers that we opt out of. That's the neglect of omission or the sin of omission. I have this long-standing belief that if I'm being led to do something that I don't really want to do, that God's probably behind it. Anybody ever feel those nudges? I mean, if, he, if he's asking me to care for somebody, to give up a Saturday, to, I mean, just the biggies for me. If it's just like, you know, give him my money. If, he's, if I feel that I'm supposed to do that, I, I think those are, those are those God nudges. And I think, I, why, why do I fight against that so hard? Go to Africa. Anybody? God send me anywhere. If you ever said that prayer, it's funny because I said, you know, kind of in, in, in surrender at one point, I said, God, just send me anywhere. I just don't want to go to Africa. And so three years ago when my wife and I were in Africa, um, not that that was a long-term deal, but um, it, I was there and we were just kind of laughing about it going, you remember when you prayed, God not send you to Africa? She goes, our kids are going to be graduated from high school in just a couple of years. And this would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I'm like, jeez, oh no. I tell you what, so if God wants us in Africa and we get that clear vision of that, what that looks like, and I don't go, that's what he's talking about. That's the sin of omission. That's knowing what you ought to do and then choosing not to do that. So um, on your outline, um, there's a list of questions with, with also a list of um, uh, Bible verses out next to them. What I did there, and in the interest of time, I'm not going to go over those. I'm going to tell you what the questions are in case you didn't get one, but there's homework and you can grab one on your way out. Homework is, where is our treasure? Why are we blessed? Who determines our steps? Who knows our days? And that's it. And there's four, there's countless, there's countless verses that teach to each of those, but there's four for you to get started on. Uh, Take those home, look at those. I know you know the answer is Jesus. You know, I mean, if you want to do the Sunday school answer, that's it. You can say Jesus, God, all this stuff. But just take a second and look at those and, and then kind of introspectively just go, okay, where am I in these? If I truly believe that who determines my steps, am I living that way? If I truly know why I'm a blessing, why do I withhold blessing from others? I'm kind of giving away the answers, but, you know. Um, so go look at those. First blank on your outline is this, though. Life is frail. Life is frail. Job 14.1 says this, How frail is humanity, how short is life, and how full of trouble. Like a flower, we blossom for a moment and then wither. Like the shadow of a passing cloud, we quickly disappear. Just that vapor. And then disappears. I was reminded uh, of this last night on Facebook as I saw my my friend, anybody know Chris Marlowe? Do y'all know when I have to say Chris Marlowe who I'm talking about? Did y'all see his post this morning? Okay, so Chris Marlowe is the, the founder of Help One Now, who we partner with in Haiti, um, and who Brandon and a couple of the people went over to Ethiopia with just a couple of weeks ago. Um, he was posting on there because his wife's brother was shot and murdered in, in L.A. last night. 
And so dealing with the grief of that, the loss of that, and just how to explain that to his daughters about their uncle. He was just dealing with that last night. So I'm just thinking, how frail. Our bodies, we're not, you know, we're not Superman. We don't have superpowers and whatever. So life can be taken from us in an instant. Um, but just thinking of the Marlowe's um, this morning, I wanted to pray for them. I was wondering if anybody knows them and would like to pray for Nicole. Nicole's his wife. It's her brother that got shot. Does anybody know them and would like to pray for them this morning? Anybody? Okay, then I will. Um, Father, just, uh, Father, just come to you this morning asking for your mercy uh, for the Marlowe family and specifically for Nicole and those two girls. Father, just pray your hand of comfort. I pray you wrap your arms around them and love on them. Um, Father, the picture, we can't see the picture. You can. Um, so we have no way of, of, of resolving this in our own minds. So, Father, we just ask for your hand and for you to be glorified through it somehow. Um, we love you. We love the Marlows. Father, we love, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, thank you. Um, so, second blank on your outline is this. Life is short. Life is short. Um, Let's read Psalm 39.5. It says this, You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath. There it is again, the breath, the vapor, even those who seem secure. So whether you're 14, 25, 39 like me, just kidding, anybody get that? Um, or 85, these numbers are very, you know, when compared to eternity, these numbers are, are relatively insignificant. A handbreadth of time or a vapor. If we knew we had 24 hours to live, what would, what would we do? Anybody besides drink, Brenda? <laughs> I would call every day at that point. Because when I say that about him, I'm being serious. I know you are. <laughs> I know you are. Yeah, my daughter was killed by a drunk driver. I know you are. So, but today, I'm going to somebody's house who's dying. She has weeks to live. Yeah. Wow. So I'm driving to Lockhart after this. Cool. To see her. And so that's just everything like this is really getting close. Yeah. I didn't plan this. I didn't know this was going to happen. Right. Yeah. I wish I'd seen that movie now. I'm just kidding. Um, anybody else? 24 hours to live. What would you do? What are some of the things? Or let's say you're a loved one of yours had 24 hours to live and you knew it. Where would you be? Yeah, you'd stop. The world would stop. You wouldn't care what was going on. You'd go be with them, right? Um, I mean, when people know um, that they're going to die, a lot of people, Brandon and I, I think it's the stories in the Barefoot Church that he wrote. We talked about uh, Mr. Nichols. He may have called him something else in the book to protect the innocent. But Mr. Nichols was an old guy dying of cancer that we went to see and hang out with. That he, his, his, the, the lady that was keeping him just says, I think he's about to expire. Will you guys just come sit with him? And we're hearing, hearing labored breathing and stuff. And, and he just pops up. doesn't pop up, but he sits up out of bed. We, we thought he was a goner within the next you know, hour or so just because of his breathing and stuff. And he sits up in the bed and he goes, you know, boys? Called us boys. You know, the thing that you got to do, the thing, one thing you need to know is you need to be right with the man. So in his limited knowledge of what, you know, God was and salvation and all this stuff, you know, Brandon goes, Mr. Nichols, 
are you, are you right with the man? And he said, no, I'm not. He goes, would you like to be? And so, really cool story. But that's one of those things on your deathbed. You've got to be right with the man. You know? I think that's one of the things people, you know, you hear about the stories on death row, people in hospice, just old people in general. There's a finality to life. I'm not going to sing it. I was just sitting there thinking about that, that song. Skydiving, I went. You all know that one? Rocky Mountain. Anyway. Um, Jordan, I am available for background vocals, just so you know. Um, but he t- talks about loving deeper, speaking sweeter, reading the good book in that song. I doubt if we had 24 hours to live, we'd be balancing our checkbook. We'd probably be worried about that. I doubt we'd be thinking about our stocks. We probably wouldn't be thinking about you know, what, what, what we could purchase that would increase in value that we, could make, that we could make money at. We'd be thinking about maybe what can I do that's significant? What can I do that's significant? What's the, well, how do I want to go out? What's the last thing in life I want to do? And that's changed since I was a teenager. I will guarantee you that. Um, I think James is saying this because we're all dying. We really, really, and it's hard to understand that as a teenager. It's hard to understand that as if you're 14, 15, 20. You know, I used to joke about when I was a teenager, boy, I just hope I die before I'm 50. And now I'm 40-something, 47, and that's awful close. I don't want to die when I'm 50 anymore, you know. But I, I remember that. I went, to a, I went to a funeral not too, too long ago, though. Um, and this kind of, for me, it was the first time I'd ever heard. Anybody heard the, the poem, The Dash? Anybody ever heard this? Have you heard that? I thought it was pretty good. I wanted to read it to you. Just, and it won't take very long, but I just thought this was interesting because I think in, in light of that, James is speaking to The Dash. He's talking about the time between we're born and when we die. It says this, I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that the first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For the dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth, and now only those that love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live in love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are things you'd like to change? Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. If we could slow down just enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things you say about how you spent your dash? And I, I heard that and I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much James 4. I mean, uh, he, he's talking about the time, using it well, and not being focused on, not letting our life focus be on the things that don't matter. Because I think we've all, we all agree, we've all kind of affirmed that um, we wouldn't be balancing our checkbook. We wouldn't be making money. We wouldn't be whatever. We would be loving our family. We'd be loving our kids. We'd be telling people about Jesus with our last breath. That would be, you know, the way to go out. 
I think as, I think as we're, we're about to step into eternity, and we knew that, if we knew that, what a great thing for, for God to just go, wow, you came out that way? That was pretty cool. Um, you know, well done. The third blank on the outline is this, death is certain. Ecclesiastes 7.2 said, for death is the destiny of every person, and the living should take this to heart. 100% of the people in this room will die at some point. Unfortunately, it's just it's going to happen. Um, they say 95% of all statistics that are spoken are made up on the spot, but I'm pretty certain that one's tried and true. So it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. My great uncle and aunt went out two weeks ago together. That's kind of strange, but um, they were 85 and 83. He's been in bad health his whole life, and it was like, um, so... She, she must have been messing with her iPod or something, but she pulled in front of an 18-wheeler and took him. But, well, actually, she died on impact. He died on the way to the hospital. But um, as sad as that is, um, talking to the family, uh, we're like, wow, she couldn't have survived without him, and he would never have survived without her. So what a blessing, and God is so gracious to do, to do that that way. I mean, it could have been a little, a little less violent. I can't figure out how. But, um, yeah, that was a really cool deal. But death is definitely certain. It's going to get us all. Fourth blank on the outline is this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Proverbs 16, 1 through 4 said this. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer uh, of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end and the wicked for a day of disaster. I think just kind of going back to the point, if we believe that God is sovereign, if we believe that he, if he does control and have the whole world in his hands, if we believe that, if that's our theology, that God is sovereign, then we are not sovereign. So we can take our, we can take our time that we have left. You know, it may, today may be our day. Who knows? We may step out of here and it may be over. Um, we can take our time and invest it in the future, we can, in, our, in our future, in our stock options, in our retirement plan, but we're not guaranteed those things. How do we really, I mean, how do we ever control that stuff anyway? I know there's people that, that are financial planners, and mine's not here today, so I can speak about that. Um, but even greater than the investment in the temporal life, and the temporal things of life is this, is this investment in this eternal life, this eternal kingdom. And if you're like me, you've, you've bought the, the American dream before. You've bought a hook, line, and sinker. Um, when, I, when I Googled American dream, just that phrase, I found the Wikipedia answer. And this is the very first line. The American dream is, the, is a national ethos of the United States, a set of ideals in which freedom includes the opportunity for prosperity and success and an upward social mobility achieved through hard work. A life invested in the American dream will not be one with kingdom. It, it, it would be one that's not full of kingdom investments. Again, don't hear me wrong. I don't believe that having money is evil. I don't believe that, that having a, a great life is evil. Um, the Bible even does say that financial planning is good stewardship. So I believe that there is, there's an aspect of that when done in dependence on God and uh, with regard to biblical priorities as well. So I think it's wise to have a will. I think it's wise to have a living trust. These are all good things. These are all things that you should plan for. 
but I've heard, I've heard eulogies of people who've lived the American dream, and they really kind of boil down to just a bunch of nothing, you know? When, when, you, take, when you take the eulogies of, of, of folks that have amassed fortune and fortune and fortune, all they can speak about is to the, the, the good times that are had here. There's no, there's no investment in the future. There's no investment in an eternal kingdom I like what I, I decided to look up Mother Teresa's eulogy, part of her eulogy. Now, I've got a couple little excerpts from it that I'm going to read. Um, Mother Teresa of Calcutta understood fully the gospel of love. She understood it with every fiber of her indomitable spirit and every ounce of her energy of her frail body. That would be kind of cool. I mean, just to somebody say that about you. She practiced it with all her heart and through daily toil of her hands, crossing the frontiers of religious and ethnic differences, she has taught the world this lesson. It is more blessed to give than receive. She often said this, the good news is that God loves us. Let us be grateful for that and love by loving others. So if we, I think, I think if, just kind of in wrapping up, if we, if we agree and we believe as followers of Jesus that life is frail, life is short, death is certain and God is sovereign, how can we better invest our, our short stay here? If like what Hugh was saying in that quote that I read from his book that's coming out, if we've truly been grafted into the family, if God has literally sent his son because he wants his family back and he wants to just adopt us back as, son, as sons and daughters, our goal should be God's goal. Help him get his family back. 